Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Abigail Berman is is a law student who has a really interesting paper. It's about abortion, which is a subject we haven't talked a lot about on The Weeds. And Marcus, I, I could never really think of like a great, like meaty policy angle to it to, to really discuss, even though it's a it's a really important issue. Uh, but so her ideas in this interview really changed the way I, I think about this topic. Um, it shows that we, we kind of frame what abortion will look like in the future all, all wrong uh, and don't fully understand the ways in which technology and society have changed in, in really relevant ways. This is a fascinating discussion. I think you're going to like it a lot. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. My guest today, Abigail Berman. She is a student at UC Berkeley Law School and the author of a really fascinating uh, new article called Abortion Sanctuary Cities. It's in the um, California Law Review. And I, I was really glad to have her on as a guest because, you know, reproductive rights is a it's an important topic. It's obviously a huge political conflict. And I have often been totally unsure what you could say about this that is in any way novel. And this is just a really interesting article. It, 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 it's very different, I think, from the debate that we're normally having. So I'm really glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Thrilled to be here. So I think there's a there's a proposal here for, for abortion sanctuary cities, but I think what we really sort of need to get is like the the background, right? Because what you're talking about here is self-managed abortions um, and potentially illegal or or gray market ones. And how how has that sort of come to arise as a as a question? Sure. So I think when we look back to the genesis of the American abortion debate, when we look to the 60s and 70s, there's this idea that the choice is one between abortions that happen in clinics legally performed by medical professionals or ones with a coat hanger, the idea of a back alley abortion. And luckily, medical technology has now advanced to the place where there's no longer a direct connection between safe abortions and clinical settings. It's completely possible to have a safe abortion outside of a clinical setting without the involvement of a medical professional. And this is because we now have medication abortions, which are abortions that are performed using a combination of two medications, misoprostol and mifepristone. Um, and this technology was actually discovered at the grassroots level by women who were living in Latin America and realized that there was this kidney medication called Cytotec that you could buy over the counter. And one of the warnings on the package said, do not take if pregnant. Okay. And they realized 
that you could safely perform an abortion using this medication. And so this is a a legally available option in some jurisdictions, uh, including the United States, and you, but it's prescription medications, right? So you you would go to a doctor, you you self manage, you do it at home, but it's still a medical, you know, thing. Yes. So to be in the, I would say the clearest zone of legality for a medication abortion, it has to be prescribed by a doctor, and uh, mifepristone is actually heavily regulated by the FDA, so you can't even get it from a retail pharmacy. It has to come directly from the provider under something called the REMS program. Um, So even though, again, this is a a very, very safe form of abortion in America, it's wrapped up in all of these layers of regulation, and um, it still is something that has to come from the doctor. But what we're increasingly seeing is that because there's so many restrictions right now on access to abortion in clinical settings, both on a cost basis, where it's just prohibitively expensive for so many pregnant people, and in terms of physical access, where there are very few clinics. If you live in a rural area, you might have to drive for six-plus hours. Um, So increasingly, we're beginning to see pregnant people uh, purchasing the drug on their own and taking it on their own to self-manage their own abortion. Right, because this is the the other thing that has changed. I mean, not since pre-Roe, but since in the original post-Roe years, abortion became not just legal, but fairly widely available. Mm -hmm. Um, And since that time, there's been a real move to restrict the ability of abortion clinics to operate, right? Because all healthcare providers are subject to a lot of regulation, and they have what's called uh, the trap, right? Mm -hmm. Which is targeted regulation of abortion providers. And that has made it in many cases, very logistically difficult, right, if you are lower income and don't live in a big city. Absolutely. Um, And so just to kind of talk through what this might look like in an individual's life. So, for example, if you live in Virginia, you're working a job that pays the state minimum wage, you have two kids, and you find yourself needing an abortion, that's probably going to be about $400 for the abortion. That's the lowest possible rate. That's if you're at the earliest point that most clinics will perform. Virginia mandates ultrasounds, so that's another $100. So you're already at $500. You also need to pay for gas, for a lift if you can't drive. You probably need to find some form of childcare for your kids. And you're also missing a day of work, um, possibly up to two days if you live in a really rural area and can't make the trip in one day. And so the associated cost of the procedure, you're running close to $800, $900 when you take into account all of the logistics. And that's just not realistic for so many people. and But instead, you now have this other option, which is for around $90, you can go online, you can order a combined pack of misoprostol and mifepristin. It will arrive at your door. Um, studies of pills available online have shown that they're almost all the actual medication, they're present in the clinical dose. And so in your own home, on your own time, you can take the medication and safely perform an abortion. But that is separately from questions of abortion law. Questions of prescription drug law make that illegal, right? I mean, you know, so (laughs) this is, with with all this stuff, right, I mean, we're we're talking about multiple layers of of legality, right? And for all kinds of There's lots of medications in the United States that you can't just go buy at the store. Um, You may be able to get them over the internet from abroad, but you're not supposed to. No, you're you're definitely in a gray area legally where 
the U.S. does allow importation for personal use of drugs, but it, it has to be a drug that you've been prescribed by a doctor. And it also, um, that personal importation allowance is not codified anywhere. It only exists in a handbook. So theoretically, a sufficiently motivated prosecutor could still go after you for bringing in drugs for personal use, even if they were prescribed. Right. Um, so it's it's this real catch-22 that people end up in where they're, on the one hand, really uh, not able to access an abortion in a clinical setting because all of these state and federal restrictions. But on the other hand, if they do choose to go the other route and to get um, drugs online or in another country, or they're sometimes available in more local settings like flea markets, they're opening themselves up to this other form of legal sanction. And so there's really just not a lot of space for people, particularly low-income people of color, to maneuver when it comes to actually accessing abortion. And so you said earlier something that's interesting, right, <laughs> that this was originally developed uh, in, in Latin America where the legal restrictions on abortion are much tighter than in the United States, but we're often prescription drug regulation is much laxer, right? So that's sort of a, a perfect setting to discover that there's a kidney medication that that you can you can use as a, an abortion tool. Exactly. And I, that is the balance that a lot of countries in Latin America have struck, is that abortion is technically illegal, but Cytotec remains freely available over the counter. And there are hotlines in some countries that will instruct you on how to use it. In Uruguay, there's actually a very formal program where people can go to a doctor, consult with the doctor about the proper dose, how far along they are in the pregnancy. Um, and then the doctor sort of puts up their hands and says, great, you go make whatever choice you're going to make. They can then go purchase Cytotec over the counter and then go for a follow-up appointment. And so that it exists in, again, kind of a, a gray area where everyone knows that it's happening, but it's not technically recognized as abortion. And that keys into what's, I think, you know, long been a sort of ambiguity mm -hmm. in the thinking of people on the anti-abortion side of the debate, which is that there's been always been much more interest in regulating and punishing uh, doctors <laughs> than than pregnant people uh, is, I think, a, a harder sell, right? So when you move into the when you move into the self-managed sphere, it, it's obviously not impossible. Uh, this was the whole point. It's, it's obviously not impossible to punish people for self-managing abortions, but it's not the sort of go-to preferred legal strategy for restrictionists. I think that's completely correct. And I, I think that also reflects the fact that for decades, the territory of the battles over abortion really was clinics and doctor's licensing. So when you look at the 90s, there were these huge protests that were focused on clinics and on trying to get individual doctors to stop performing the procedure. But I do think that's changing. And I, I think that really— the taboo around directly prosecuting people for abortion is eroding. And I, I think we can also see that if we look at, for example, the prosecutions of people who miscarry, who have been using drugs. There's, um, I, I think, beginning to be a real sense that these are people who you can 
punish without social sanction in a, in a really concerning way. And so I think that's something that the reproductive rights movement and other movements really have to directly confront and stand up for. Right, because this is what it does, right? I mean, yeah. the, the greater sort of ease of, of self-managed abortion, it changes on both sides. Like, what is the exactly. the, the locus of the, the battle, right? And, and it, I mean, it also, it's a lot of it's a big change in, in policy context because traditionally one of the things that has uh, been done is, you know, the the classes on how to perform abortions safely are made optional in, in medical school, right? So the reason you need to go to a special clinic, right? Mm-hmm. Normally, common procedures, like, you can get done all kinds of places, right? But abortion is treated as special, uh, whereas the knowledge of how to use medication safely um, is just much easier to obtain. Right. Exactly. So it's like pe- people people know how to do this. Yeah. And there have been, um, especially in other countries, really large scale efforts to disseminate this information about how to safely use these medications. And there have been studies that have shown that when given the proper instructions, pregnant people are absolutely capable of safely self-administering. It is just as safe as in a clinic. And so I, I think that's one of the most powerful things about the possibility of this medication is it really puts the decision in pregnant people's own hands. It kind of echoes that statement from Dr. Tiller, trust women, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in, I think, a really powerful way. And it does, as you said, it addresses the fact that there just are not enough abortion providers in the United States because the training is so hard to get. And sometimes even if people want to perform the procedure, they work for institutions that won't allow it. Even if, for example, there was a case in Washington um, where a doctor who was employed by a hospital wanted to perform abortions outside of her usual work hours at a different clinic, and the hospital strongly objected. So can can you explain, like, what exactly is—so Uruguay is sort of— an extreme case in, in one direction. But but what is it that sort of happens elsewhere in, in Latin America as people try to do, uh, disseminate the, the information that would be needed to do what's, I, I guess, illegal in most of these countries? So it's mostly work that's being done by feminist, local feminist collectives. Um, one of the most common models is telephone hotlines. And so, for example, the one in Chile, people can call um, the people who are manning the hotline th- The way they walk the line around the fact that abortion remains illegal is they will sort of give general advice and relay the WHO guidelines for medication abortion, but will not give specific advice to the caller. Uh, There have also been, there are websites where people can access this information, leaflet campaigns. Some of the best work that's being done on this comes from an organization called Women on Waves, which will send the medication around the world and has also conducted public information campaigns. So I I think what we can take from that is that attempting to widely disseminate this information is completely possible. People will use it, and people are interested in it. And again, looking to the rise of medication abortion and the discovery that Cytotec could be used as an abortive fashion, that was completely word of mouth. This was a discovery that the medical community really only caught on to about a decade after pregnant people had started using it in this way, um, when they realized that there was such a sharp decline in abortion related um, deaths and serious injury that the only way to explain it was that there had been a widespread dissemination of this information. Okay, that's a great point to take a break and and get into another piece of history that you talk about. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. 
Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for the weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. Burrow's new Dune line features a contemporary yet timeless look inspired by the craftsmanship of classic mid-century construction. If you're looking to bring a sense of luxury, comfort, and durability to your outdoor spaces, you might want to consider Burrow. Like all of Burrow's pieces, they offer easy assembly and disassembly so you can move or store them away as needed. Not only that, they ship straight to your door for free. Listeners of The Weeds can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com weeds. That's Burrow. B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash weeds for 15% off. Burrow.com slash weeds. So one of the things that I, I learned from your article is that it's, of course, true that before abortions were legal in the United States, you had a fairly large number of cases of people injuring themselves trying to abort pregnancies, but that this was not exactly the the scenario of the unsafe back alley abortion that at least was sort of passed down to me as as hazy cultural lore like like what's the actual situation so yet yeah, the the actual situation like you said is very different um, from, I think, the way that we think of it now and in terms of the progress that we've made. So what you had before Roe was really a bifurcated system where women who had the means were always able to access abortion. There were doctors um, who could be your general family practitioner who would on the side, perform abortions for a fee and with discretion. There was also the option of flying to other countries. So one of the cases that really kicked off the modern abortion rights movement was a television host who flew to England to have an abortion and taped the entire procedure. But on the other side, you know, this abortion has always been a fact of life. It has been something that people will always seek out and try to do. And so if you couldn't afford to go to a practitioner, the other option was to attempt to self-abort. And so that's where these really horrible injuries that we're talking about come from. It's not from sort of back alley butchers. It's even more tragic in that it's injuries that people cause to themselves trying to abort. That's where you see things like the coat hangers and the glass in people's uteruses. Um, so that's the danger that we have to confront um, is really 
making sure that people have safer methods of performing abortions themselves. Right. And so this is where you, you get into, uh, you use the analogy to, to harm reduction policies uh, that we see for certain kinds of uh, illicit drugs and, and other kinds of things, right? Which is that people have, we have like a lot of evidence from Google search, right? This is a topic that is of interest to people who become pregnant and don't want to be pregnant. They try to find out like, what can I do about this? Um, and you can walk the line, at least, between saying, okay, well, I am providing you with information and your, your safety guidelines. I mean, I, I, I don't know exactly, but, like, what, what pe- people are looking to find out. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's huge interest in this information. Like you said, the best data we have is from this really fascinating study of Google searches, which found that there are hundreds of thousands of Google searches for terms related to self-managed abortion and that these searches are concentrated in states with really restrictive abortion laws. So there is that horrible, vicious circle of these restrictions driving interest in self-managed abortion, but these are also the states that are most likely to prosecute for it. But when we look at more recent studies of self-managed abortion, there are some people who are using the medication and able able to safely self-abort, but there's still reports of people using methods like getting someone to punch them in the stomach or using like household cleaning supplies, for example, like random chemicals. So there's still a real need to disseminate this information. And that's sort of, like you said, the harm reduction piece comes in where um, I really think that cities should approach this as a public health issue. It is something that is happening in their communities. It is something that is dangerous to their residents unless they have the proper information, in which case it can be very safe. Right. A lot of things that might occur to you to try to do to disrupt a pregnancy are just going to be very harmful to the pregnant woman, right? And it's not that it's not that it can't be done, right? But that the the use of these medications is that they are safe. Exactly. Right? And they um they work with what is 90% efficacy? What's the more than 90, I believe. Um I, I think it's over 95, but I, mm-hmm. I'm bad at remembering exact numbers, so I wouldn't quote me on that. Um, sure. but yeah, they're they're very effective. This is really the gold standard in many ways for a safe, effective abortion. And we have now, I mean, internet search is like, it's it's a great, I mean, it's a great tool, right? I mean, you're talking about originally word of mouth, telephone hotlines, but like Google is a fantastic technology for this basic thing of like, here's some information. We would like people to have it, uh, but you need people who are authoritative, you know, sounding and and get your SEO marks, as we all know here. Exactly. And I I think also um, one of the current problems is that I've done some of those Google searches myself just to see what comes up. And there are extensive resources, but they tend to be aimed at people in other countries Mm -hmm. and come from people, um, organizations operating overseas. There's no one that's um, in the U.S. that's really operating in local communities and communities that people know and trust that's putting this information online Mm -hmm. or available over the phone. So it is available in American communities, again, by word of mouth. But uh, I I think the role that cities can play is really to be, like you said, that authoritative figure, someone that you know, someone that you trust. Right. So this is, you you need um, institutional actors who seem credible and relevant to go 
do this? Because right now you're saying, okay, well, I can Google up information that's targeting people in Central America or something. But that's not—I mean, that's just not how you present information in a helpful way. Exactly. And a lot of the resources that are available in English are resources that are really geared towards the medical and academic community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can pull up the WHO guidelines, but those are really dense. So that's not uh, a format that's really accessible. Um, On the other hand, there are really amazing resources available in Spanish because of all the amazing work that Latin American activists have done. So I think really we should look to that work in terms of thinking about how to make this information accessible and understandable for people. Okay. But so now what is the sort of legal and, and prosecutorial situation that's happening. So there, there are uh, people in the United States who are getting uh, self-managed abortions. They are going outside the normal prescription uh, channels to get the medications. And are they being prosecuted? Yes, they are. Um, and so most of this research was done by a, a fabulous group called the SEA Legal Team that have now merged with If One How. And so um, about three years ago, they went through and tried to catalog all of the publicly recorded self-managed abortion prosecutions in the U.S. At the time, there were over 20, and that was just the ones where there was public information available. So it's Mm -hmm. very likely that there have been more. There have already been more since that initial report was published. So people are being prosecuted for this, and the prosecutions really fall into three buckets. So there are some states that explicitly criminalize self-managed abortion. All abortions must be performed by a physician. If not, it's a criminal offense. There are other states that have fetal homicide laws, so laws stating that causing the death of a fetus is murder in the criminal code. And some states don't provide a carve-out for um, the actions of the person carrying the fetus towards the fetus. And concerningly, even in states that do provide an explicit carve-out to the fetal homicide law, there have still been prosecutions. There was one in Georgia who's— uh, At the time, there was no criminal abortion law in Georgia, and the fetal homicide statute contained a very explicit carve-out for people carrying the fetus. But there was still a a prosecution of a woman, and even though there was no legal basis for this, her face was flashed all over the local news. It's the first thing that comes up when you Google her name. Um, And then the final bucket of prosecutions is really the throw something at the wall and see what sticks bucket. So there have been uh, people who have uh, self-managed their abortion who have been prosecuted for failure to report a birth, um, abuse of a corpse, these random statutes um, that are really, I I think, just prosecutors who feel like they have done something wrong and need to be punished in some fashion. Obviously, one thing that we've saw with with the trap laws is that there's sort of innovation and there's copying mm-hmm. in this space, right? It took a while for all this to happen, even though political opposition to legal abortion is, is very old. And also, we will likely see a jurisprudential change from, from the Supreme Court that will let state legislatures get much more aggressive uh, in, in, in what they choose to do. And so it seems to me we should expect to see uh, more moves to explicitly criminalize self-managed abortions in the future from from the more conservative states. The intent is clear to yeah. restrict access um, if this issue has not fully occurred to everyone or they have concerns about the litigation impact, like that's just going to change in the near future. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think it's this this twin 
these twin forces of we're likely to see a change in the law moving forward, which makes it easier to pass these types of laws. And then I think that change will also just lead bad actors to feel like they have even more social license to go after these people. Because in a, in a lot of cases, these are prosecutions that are happening to low-income women, particularly low-income women of color, because those are the people who are hit the hardest by these trap laws, who don't have the resources to travel out of state for an abortion. And so I, I think we're just likely to see even more prosecution of these vulnerable, vulnerable communities um, for actions that they really were driven to by state policy in the first place, which is the perversity of these prosecutions. This is also interesting from a federalism perspective yeah. because pre-Roe, this was a state topic, right? And then it became a federal constitutional law topic. But then within the framework of federal jurisprudence, there's been a lot of state variation. And that's sort of always been the case, right? Every time there's a new big abortion case, it's about a state law. Uh, but as we move more and more to medication-type abortions, um, all prescription drug policy is federal, essentially, right? I mean, yeah. it's not, so abortion policy has been handled by states primarily, but questions about what is available with a prescription, questions about what's available in retail pharmacies, that's all stuff that's out of state government's hands, right? So it, like a California or a New York can't like move forward to make these medications more widely available. Yeah, they can't single-handedly legalize these medications. And it's been an enormous fight at the federal level to get even emergency contraception approved. So I, I think that's definitely going to be a much longer struggle. And so feminist groups have been involved in trying to lift the REMS restrictions on mifepristone and, and at least try to make that a little more available. Um, so, for example, you could just pick up your prescription at the pharmacy or that you can make it available via telemedicine more easily. But I, I think that really does highlight what's at play here, where the, the federal government does exert a tremendous amount of control. But I think we're also seeing, particularly during the Trump administration, this rise of progressive federalism, this idea that states and localities really can do a lot to mitigate the harm. So mm -hmm. even if um, mifepristone and misoprostol remain difficult to access at the federal level, states can really take up this harm reduction work and try to make it more difficult to carry out these types of prosecutions. Right. So let's let's take another break and, and let's let's get finally to, to the heart of the matter. Support for the weeds comes from Hydro. Finding the time to exercise can be hard. But with the Hydro Rower, finding time for a 20-minute full-body workout can be a piece of cake. Hydro is a state-of-the-art, low-impact home rowing machine that's actually designed by rowers. Hydro caters to all fitness levels, and their classes are taught by Olympians and world-class athletes alike. Eric Maxwell, from the business side of things here at Vox, got to try it out. Here's what he thought. The Hydro definitely felt like a nice workout. It felt challenging, intuitive. It kind of felt natural without being too strenuous. It was just nice to have a menu of options to find something super customized and just make it feel fun. This spring, you can join the growing rowing community at Hydro. You can head over to hydro.com and use code WEEDS to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com, code WEEDS, to save up to $400. Hydro.com, code WEEDS. 
Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Okay, so this is like the sort of core of the proposal here, right? It's your idea that cities, which generally in American politics are just the most left-wing entities that we have, and they are also where sort of the rubber meets the road in terms of how does the government work. Uh, most of the human beings who represent the government uh, are sort of local local government entities. And so what what is it you, you would like to see them do? So I argue that uh, localities, and if they want states can get in on this too, um, should adopt a two-pronged strategy to respond to both the rise of self-managed abortion and the fact that we're increasingly seeing pros- prosecutions of it. So first, they should adopt harm reduction policies where they basically just take advantage of all of the many ways that cities have to reach out to their residents and disseminate information about how to safely use abortion medications. So this would be like health departments who are already doing stuff about vaccines or whatever it else it is a city health department does, they can sort of make sure that they are providing information on this topic. Exactly. Like, I would love to see a subway ad with the dosage instructions for misoprostol. Um, or, for example, 311 um, have a recorded message about what the dose is. Even public libraries can put up posters. There are all of these really great ways that cities can reach out to people who live in them because, like you said, it's it's the most direct form of government. It's where we come into contact with our government. Um, and then cities should, in addition to those harm reduction measures, look to the example of the abortion sanctions movement and adopt information protection policies. So to really make sure that they're not retaining or sharing any information that might aid in prosecutions for self-managed abortion. And so this would take the form of measures that would, for example, prevent um, police or other public officers from proactively participating in prosecutions or investigations of self-managed abortion, to put in place policies to destroy for example, um, the specific identifying information of anyone who visits city websites or calls 311. So cities do have to be careful on the information front that any information management policies are part of a broader document retention policy, so they Mm -hmm. don't end up destroying evidence. But I I think just generally, it's sensible to have policies that aren't keeping people's identifying information on hand indefinitely, as I think a lot of cities learned in the sanctuary context. Mm -hmm. And what we also see from the sanctuary movement is that these policies operate on two levels, where they're both offering people practical support in their day-to-day lives, but also sending the bigger message that the people that these laws are directed at are part of this community. They're people that belong here and that the government is going to act to protect uh, because the government thinks that their lives are important. And I think that's also a really huge part of local legislating on these issues. So the the inspiration here, obviously, is coming from the sanctuary city movement Mm -hmm. around undocumented immigrants where, as— 
longtime listeners of the podcast will know, I mean, this is not a not a technical term in immigration policy, uh, but has come to primarily mean a sort of uh, lack of information sharing between local law enforcement and immigration authorities around people's immigration status. Um, and so that's the sort of main spirit that, that you're operating in here? Exactly. Um, and I, I think much like the, the sanctuary movement has really emphasized the need to be flexible and that these policies will look different in different places. I, I think that's also true of what I'm advocating for. So I'm m- not every city will be able to adopt all of these policies or all of them in the same form. But in general, I, I think these are the two directions that cities should be thinking in. And, and they have a lot of scope. So for example, if you live in a state that has really strict criminal self managed abortion laws, really strict accomplice liability laws, and you feel like you just can't safely share information about the dosage information, there are many other options these could take. For example, providing trainings for providers on mandatory reporting laws. So they're clear about the fact that suspected self-managed abortion is almost never caused for a report for suspected child abuse to the authorities, which did lead to one of the prosecutions. Um, so there's there's a lot that cities can do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it seems to me, uh, you're focused in your articles on, on cities, but I mean, a lot of this is relevant to state governments uh, in particular, right? I mean, because... You need to sort of—part of this, right, is you can look through your criminal code mm-hmm. and make sure that you have some kind of safe harbors, right? Because there's a, there's a lot of potential prosecutorial creativity uh, that, that can exist in the world, uh, particularly when you're dealing with a situation where, you know, uh, probably there's going to be a violation of prescription drug laws at work here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this— the issue of the state criminal code and state action really speaks to the way that self-managed abortion highlights the way that the Roe framework can't continue to guide the reproductive rights movement, um, where when states have reformed their laws, so for example, New York recently passed a law that took abortion out of the criminal code, but it really followed this Roe framework where it legalized doctors performing abortions. It did not legalize people getting them, which is a a fine-grained but very important distinction in the context of self-managed abortion. So in New York, self-managed abortion, even after this liberalization of the abortion law, still exists in a legal gray area. And so for states who are looking at updating their abortion laws to really consider um, people who are self-managing and making sure that they are not leaving open space for particularly motivated prosecutors to act. Right. And just in general terms of the advocacy space, right, that if you are trying to think, right, if there has been a sort of movement over 40 years to make it more and more burdensome to get an abortion, even if it's legal, right, counter-advocacy, you want to aim at making it, like, more convenient to get a safe abortion. And in a practical sense, with emerging technology, that means less and less advocacy around clinics and more and more advocacy around medication. Exactly. I I think really moving the advocacy from the providers to the people getting the abortions, making sure that the, the access to abortion and the right to abortion is located in the lives of people who need abortions, not necessarily their providers. So what what do we know about the sort of reaction from Latin American governments to the emergence of this practice? Because that can be a sort of uh, a look ahead, right? I mean, you don't need to keep 
making a kidney medication available if your social understanding becomes that it's it's widely used for abortions? There is an uneasy tolerance. And so I, I, this will differ, of course, between countries. But, for example, the, the Uruguay program really operates quite publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows that it's happening. But there's a recognition that this sort of intervention is needed to prevent people dying from unsafe methods of self-managed abortion. And I think that's the through line of the history of abortion and um, studies of abortion access all around the world is that this is something that people are going to do no matter what. Throughout history, across the world, people who want to not be pregnant will try very hard to not be pregnant. And so the key is just to make sure that they have a safe way to do so. Otherwise, it's creating a serious public health crisis and also just a serious human rights crisis um, where this does really imperil people's ability to be full members of their political communities. It just seems like, I mean, I can imagine the development in, you know, U.S. federal politics. We already have all kinds of topics that sort of seesaw according to, you know, who's in charge of the executive branch, right? And and you can imagine a world in which Republican administrations are pivoting the DEA to be doing tons of uh, investigations into, you know, illicit importation of drugs for the purposes of abortions at the, you know, pro-life well, movement actually, takes this very seriously. We're as a, seeing as a, that yeah. um, already. Uh, so there has been a—it's very unusual for companies to be investigated or prosecuted for importing drugs to the states. There's, again, been an acceptance that, like, for example, people import from Canadian pharmacies. But the FDA is actually currently investigating Women on Waves, which is one of the most public providers of these pills in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was also been a prosecution of a woman who was distributing these pills via mail in the states. And both of these are very unusual. This is the first time we've seen this type of prosecution. So I I think that door is already opening that you've described. Right. I mean, because I know, I mean, this is a, a very different context, but I mean, you know, you read about the sort of development of the opioid addiction yeah. crisis in the United States. There was a time when people were not that interested in sort of off-label distribution of these pills, and then it became a huge point of emphasis. And they, you know, in that case, I think for good reasons, um, like really successfully clamped down on sort of uh, black market distribution of medications. And, you know, it's, I feel like, Ultimately, like, you're going to have to have significant fight at yeah. the federal level over over control of, of policy in this space. I, I think that's absolutely true. But I think in some ways this is actually a stronger ground on which to have that fight than mm-hmm. the current fight that we're having. Because what this allows you to argue is that it's not a question of doctors' rights with their patients or of privacy um, for people who need abortion. or It, it really allows you to directly speak to the stakes of this issue, mm-hmm. where it is people's ability to direct their own lives and to be full participants in their community. Um, the, the famous Justice Ginsburg quote that abortion is essential to the full participation of women in the social, economic, and um, governmental lives of their communities. And then on the flip side, this relates to, I think we've now seen a few cases of investigations or maybe even prosecutions of women who've miscarried Mm -hmm. after taking illegal drugs. Yeah, and I I think those cases are really deeply connected to this issue and to the the broader motivation behind these prosecutions where it is about control of 
women's lives and bodies. And I want to be clear when I say women, I mean all people whose political identity includes women within that. Um, And so those cases, I think, really should be highlighted more because they're really horrifying abuses of power. And that's where I think reproductive rights are heading right now. That's where the energy is. Right. I mean, because essentially, I don't don't want to speak— out of term, but it, medically, biologically, right? And essentially, these medications induce miscarriage. Yes. So, and miscarriages themselves are actually very common. Yeah. The, so, uh, just for anyone who's listening, good information to have that what these medications induce is medically indistinguishable from a miscarriage. And these medications really can't be detected in uh, your blood for very long. So if you turn up at a hospital, for example, or someone reports you, what it's going to look like is a miscarriage. And I think this is part of why we see so many prosecutions of low-income women of color, because you end up in a situation where you're saying that you miscarried, and you may in fact have actually miscarried, but the doctors, the police don't believe you. Um, So the the brunt of these prosecutions fall on people who are already distrusted by official systems. Right. And so you're you're talking about, right, to to really try to police this, Mm -hmm. right? You're talking about uh, really stepping up the intrusiveness with which the medical and law enforcement situation uh, looks at miscarriages, which are, which are, which are quite common occurrences. Really common. They they happen, um, I think, in a really good way. We're starting to talk more now about how common they are. Um, and so if you really wanted to aggressively police this, you would have to be investigating every miscarriage. Um, and that is a really horrifying concept. And again, I, I think that highlights the disparate impact of these laws, where it's not really practical to investigate every miscarriage. So whose miscarriages are going to be investigated? Who will be looked upon with suspicion for whether or not they took pills? It's, again, going to be communities that are already facing systemic disadvantage. So communities of color, low-income communities, rural communities, people who don't have the social clout to get doctors and prosecutors and police officers to believe them. So one of the prosecutions was in Indiana and the Pervy Patel case. And one of the things that kicked it off was that she had expressed some ambivalence about being pregnant. And I think that's just really concerning that um, feeling ambivalent about a pregnancy, which is a huge life-changing thing, that could be enough to, to land you under suspicion of committing a murder. All right. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, you know— I, Uplifting. I, <laughs> It's a no. I mean, that's a like legitimately terrifying thought. Um, you know. Uh, so before uh, I, I let you go, I, I like to ask guests on the show. Uh, you know, what what should I have asked you here? What what did we miss in this conversation so far? So I think I would just say, looking forward to to what people who support access to abortion, who really want to build this movement, to do. I, I think it is incumbent on us to really start focusing on the lives of the actual people who are having abortions and really make the case that abortion is not important because just because it's protected by the Constitution, but because it is central to people's ability to direct the course of their lives and to be safe and to be full members of their community. Yeah, and I mean, I also feel like some of the work that you're talking about here in terms of disseminating information, mm-hmm. things like that, I mean, this is a natural role for the advocacy organizations Absolutely. that exist around this topic. And uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like this is not what they are doing currently. Uh, no, <laughs> no. Um, I, I think 
right now, as it has been really since Roe, the repro movement has really been locked in to this pattern of focusing on the courts, of focusing on the winning arguments that they see themselves as having, which mm -hmm. is the constitutional argument, the idea of privacy, that we're not asking you to say whether abortion is good or bad. We're just asking you to say that, you know, it should be something people are allowed to do. Um, but that's just not working. Uh, it has not stopped these horrifying attacks on access to abortion that we see across the country. And so I think it, it is time for a new strategy and a strategy that really defends access to abortion on the merits as a good thing and a necessary thing for people to have access to. Um, and I, I think also there's there's always tension with the fact that doctors and clinics have been really wonderful allies in the fight for abortion access. They've been plaintiffs in a number of the cases. Providers face enormous threats to their safety every day. But we're now at a place where you can safely perform an abortion without access to a clinic. And so really opening up that conversation and looking at ways for providers to continue to be involved while also recognizing that as we move forward, uh, hopefully more and more people will be able to, if they want to, use self-managed abortion. And there are always going to be people for whom this is not their first choice, who mm -hmm. will really prefer to have it in a clinic or will, who will be too far along in their pregnancy to safely use the medication. Um, but finding that balance going forward, I think, is really important. All right. Fantastic. Abigail Berman, uh, UC Berkeley Law School. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks also to Malachi Brodus, uh, our engineer on this episode, Jackson Bierfeld, our producer. Louise will be back on Tuesday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.